Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Listening colour. Welcome to the brand new season of Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss. It's where we bring together, as I hope you well know, the pioneers of the business world with the musicians shaping jazz, soul and blues. And we've got typically risk-taking, problem-solving, inspiring and can-do guests joining us over these next few weeks. With me today, launching this season in style, is Daniel Hegarty, founder and CEO of Habito, the digital mortgage broker aiming to transform the home buying experience. Age 16 and having to choose between buckling down to his A-levels or touring the world as a guitarist with his punk band Serum, he unsurprisingly chose the latter. But after a decade as a freelance musician in Los Angeles, it was the music industry he was keen to escape. Back in the UK, he stumbled, he says, into the world of fintech, working at loan companies Wonga, then Everline. But it was a nightmare mortgage application where his broker's mistakes almost cost him the house that gave Daniel an entrepreneurial idea. What if he could develop technology to fix this antiquated industry and make buying a house easier and more supported? Habito was launched in 2015 and is now both a broker and lender, offering award-winning free-to-consumer mortgage services. And they're the first UK mortgage company to receive B Corp accreditation, which is no mean feat. I'm with Daniel Hegarty. He is the founder of Habito, and they make the mortgage process easy. I'm not saying this because you told me to say that. I'm saying it because that is what you set out to do. Six years down the line, mm-hmm. is it a yes from the judges? Is it is on the way from the judges, or is it a lots more work to do from the judges? I would say, firstly, thank you for having me. It's a um, pleasure. I still feel like we're very early on the journey. I think we've made an immense amount of progress. Uh, helped a lot of customers on the journey to home ownership. But yeah, I mean, it, it's such a, an extraordinarily complex and Byzantine industry. It feels like there's yeah, a, a very, very long to-do list left in front of us. And yet, of course, you've got a huge number of accolades. 2020, I think you were the best mortgage advisor or broker in the industry, which is fantastic. You've built something, you're heavily funded. I sense immediately that you are a, a man on a mission, but you're quietly spoken, he says, after three seconds of meeting Daniel. Um, but B, that I don't know if you'll ever think the job is done. You might well be right. And I have been accused in the past of not celebrating the successes that we've had as I sort of stare forward into the, the jobs left to do. But no, listen, I think, you know, homeownership is so fundamental to the, to the human experience, whether it be from an economic perspective, whether it be from, a, you know, the, the basics of needing shelter, whether it's from an emotional perspective as we think about you know, raising families in these back gardens and so on. So I think like a, a topic that sort of complex and important to us as individuals and as a society, like there's there's a lot of work to do. Mm. And yeah, I'm thankfully excited about doing that work for, for quite a long time. And of course you have achieved a lot, but as you said, this is a very complicated and Byzantine industry and very well put. But back in 2015, you know, I often say this to people that have spotted the why don't we just fix the thing. I have, I've had Alex Chesterman here talking mm-hmm. about secondhand cars and kazoo goes from strength to strength. What is it that converted you to being able to do something about the frustration rather than like the rest of us saying, this is not very good? Yeah, I think it's interesting. So I, I think as an entrepreneur, you're always looking for things to fix. You're looking for like little broken things in the way that perhaps you can make a difference to. Um, and I, I'd actually already been working in financial services, as you said, for a, for a few years. Um, and it came to buying my first house, which feels like this sort of impossible mountain, particularly if you're trying to do it in London. And was, 
I was really struck by a few things. Like, there's all the obvious stuff. Like, it's an abominable process. Like, nobody's telling you the truth. Nobody's talking to each other. The volume of jargon and misinformation is maddening. And all the while, like, this is literally the most important thing that you can possibly conceive of. Um, so beyond all of that, the thing, the thing that really struck me was how entirely disempowered I felt in the process and how I really, at a fundamental level, did not understand what the mortgage was or how the home buying process worked. And so I guess the insight there was, you know, this was an industry that had been built up over decades, even hundreds of years, around the complexity of regulation and property rights and so on. And actually, the only person who'd been completely ignored in that process was the, the customer, the consumer, the homeowner at the end of it. So I guess the very simplistic thought that occurred to me was if you could rebuild this, this market, this industry, this process around the customer or the homeowner, then you might be able to do something quite interesting. The complexity, though, Daniel, of lending people money against an asset which you hope isn't going to fall down and how much someone earns and how you calculate it and interest rates and the market. I mean, it's inherently very complicated. How do you ensure, and I've, uh, I looked at the, uh, the website bef- bef- before meeting you, obviously, and it's bright and it's light and it's like simple questions at the beginning and all that. How do you ensure that when you take the complexity away from something, you don't make it so simple that you miss things that are really important? That's a really great question. Um, so I think there's a few parts. I think, I think one of the greatest enemies in this industry is actually just language. Like the, the level of jargon, whether it's LTVs, uh, SVRs, LTIs, like it's just like nobody, why would anybody understand this? Like it, it's ridiculous to assume that anyone would be an expert at mortgages. Like you do it maybe, you know, once every few years, you buy a house once every eight to 10 years. Um, so everybody's coming to it as a novice, but yet we speak to them like they're, you know, they're a lawyer or some kind of technical expert. So I think the first thing is just calling things what they are and asking questions in a way that they could be potentially understood. Um, and as you say, yeah, there are there, there are a vast number of kind of complex levers and algorithms and effects that are happening in the background. But really, the customer just needs to know how much can I borrow, how much is it going to cost me, and can I have the mortgage? Obviously, there's all the, the natural warnings that have to be made around repossession and making your repayments and so on. But ultimately, like the customer just wants to know if they're going to be able to get the house that they want, and we want to get them there in the, the simplest way possible. And I think that's brilliant. I think language often obfuscates, not just in this industry, but in most industries. Legal industry is one, accounting is another. I mean, they just do, and you kind of wonder who it's serving. But wanting to do that, seeing how bad the process was for you, and then first moves into actually creating the business. Just tell me a little bit about how, A, why you believed you could do that, and B, where those first few people came from to help you grow. Yeah, I, I do think a little bit of ignorance and naivety are, mm. are very helpful in all of these journeys. And so, yeah, I, I guess I sort of had a fire in my belly about it, and I went off and spoke to anyone who would speak to me. So I spoke to the, some of the banks, uh, the regulator, customers, mortgage brokers, as many people in the space as I could find, and generally had lots of people sort of shaking their head at me and telling me what I was suggesting was ridiculous. And I was just, I was struck by two things. One was like how infatuated they all were by the complexity of their market and all of the technical terminology and the history of the thing um, and how powerfully disinteresting that was to me as a consumer at that point. And two was that there was a, like a real sense of customers are going to put up with it. Everybody wants to own a home. You know, like nobody's going to force us to do better than we're already doing. And so I think those, those two things combined, like I think... Uh, yeah, like a belief that customers were being left behind in this process for no good reason. And the idea that the, the people who would potentially get in my way further down the line weren't paying much attention really yeah, gave me kind of the impetus to get going. 
And then those first few people, where did you find the right kind of people? And we're going to talk about, I want to talk about your values later, but, you know, it's it looks great six years later, but I, I'm pretty sure that it doesn't quite get written down in the way that it then appears six years ago. In other words, you may have had to find people before you decided what you were really looking for. In terms of employees? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, those first sales are hard, right? Like, essentially, I was asking somebody if they wanted to come and sit in my kitchen with me for six months and listen to me ramble. And uh, I was fortunate. Like, I found some people who kind of, I guess, shared the entrepreneurial zeal and believed that there was, like, a real meaningful problem to solve. But it was, it came kind of through me asking people who the best people they'd ever worked with were and then me sitting down with coffee and sort of talking at them until they... They broke down and agreed to come and help me for a while. <laughs> <laughs> this is Daniel Higgersy. He breaks people to ensure they come and help him build his vision. We'll be hearing lots more from him. Uh, he's my business shaper today, and he's the founder of Habito, and they're doing really interesting things in the mortgage market. Right now, though, we're going to hear a taster from the Mishcon Innovation Series, a brand new podcast which will very soon be popping up on all of the major podcast platforms. Natasha Knight invites business founders to share their industry insights and practical advice for those of you thinking about getting into an industry and starting your very own own thing. In this clip, focused on retail, we hear from Tamor Atagechi, founder and CEO of Papier, an online stationery brand. The Mishcon Innovation Series. Insights from founders for your future business. In association with Jazz Shapers, with Mishcon Derea. The main thing I would say is not to be afraid. I think there's a lot of reasons why people don't do things that they want to do. And, and the biggest reason for it is is fear, fear that they don't have enough experience, fear that they don't have the qualifications, fear that, you know, for some reason or another, they're not equipped to do something. And I think actually, you know, my biggest advice is, is, is ignore all of that. Uh, you know, I didn't do anything in retail. I'd never worked in a retail company. I'd never worked in an e-commerce business. I'd never built a brand before. So you don't need any of those things. What you do need are some kind of core values, you know, perseverance and, you know, and also ultimately that real passion for actually building something from scratch, which I think if you've got that, the rest will follow. When it comes to retail, I I love being able to, you know, sell to customers. I love basically being a consumer facing business. And that's one of the nicest things about retail is you are delivering something that the consumer needs every day. And you get to speak to them and meet them. I mean, we don't have a shop. We're a digitally native online e-commerce brand, but we still get to see and know that there are thousands of customers every day that's using the product. And I think that's that gives you a real thrill. And everyone I know who works in retail just has that big buzz of knowing that they are delivering you know, tens of thousands of products to customers day in, day out. The Mishcon Innovation Series. In association with Jazz Shapers, with Mishkon Derea. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkon Derea. It's business, but it's personal. You can hear all our former business shapers on the Jazz Shapers podcast. And indeed, you can hear this very program again if you pop Jazz Shapers into your podcast platform of choice. Or if you've got a smart speaker, why not ask it to play Jazz Shapers? And there you'll find a taste of our recent shows. But back to today's guest, our first guest of our brand new season. It's Daniel Hegarty, founder and CEO of Habito, the digital mortgage broker transforming the home buying experience. So you get these people around the table, you convince them, you give them nice coffee, you do all that stuff. Those first, and once it's happening, and once you've got some funding and then you've got some runway, mm-hmm. what are those first year or two like with the benefit now of four years? I mean, obviously we all forget the horrible stuff, or we try to. Maybe we only remember the horrible stuff. What, what was it like for you as you look back now? 
I I found it deeply unpleasant. <laughs> if I'm being honest, like I think a lot of a lot of founders I find like yearning back to those early days when it was just us on a whiteboard. Um, but I felt like a crazy fantasist uh, running around telling everyone that I was the made-up CEO of my made-up company that was going to take over the mortgage industry. And I didn't, <laughs> it, like, it wasn't great for my mental health. And actually, once we got sort of through that first six or 12 months, and we like had built a prototype and we had real customers and real investors and sort of enough of us that we had some momentum, I found it a lot more enjoyable. And I think, I think it's interesting. I think the sort of the gap between conception and execution just gets longer and longer and longer as the business gets mm. bigger and more complex and more heavily regulated. But there is, there's definitely a sweet spot when you, I know you're like 30 to 50 people and you're like just moving at the speed of light and you're shipping new product every week, which actually was sort of two or three years in for us, which is, is probably the, the point that I hark back to. I hope I don't get this wrong, but there's a philosophy or there's a, a theory around this thing called solipsism, which is all about the thing that you believe in your head is the thing that's true outside of your head which is essentially what most entrepreneurs do in those first 18 months. If that's the case, how did you remain sane and, and hold on? I, I think you have to be able to hold two ideas in your head simultaneously that are completely oppositional. One is that like your, your savings are running out, your, your wife's probably going to leave you, that you've got these strangers in your kitchen. He's which saying is, this with <laughs> such a straight face, I love it. <laughs> carry on talking about Armageddon. Yeah, the other one is that you might end up, you know, like completely changing an entire industry and changing the lives of those people around the kitchen table and changing the lives of the, the customers that you, you help serve. And I think... A lot of the other founders I know don't hold those two ideas. They only hold the latter. And um, I guess maybe I'm a little too sane. <laughs> but that sanity, just to touch on the music career that happened before, music is relatively insane, relatively chaotic, relatively entrepreneurial, actually. Mm -hmm. Relatively, let's make it up, let's write some music, let's play, it's going to sound different tonight, and you yeah. toured for a long time and all that. Surely you were pretty inured to the notion of chaos. And if so, has that actually, thinking about it, helped you manage the fact that it's all over the place in those first few years. Yeah, for sure. Like I think, um, I mean, not it's a bit trite, but there are definitely some parallels, right? Like you're you're a few people in a band, a few people around the kitchen table. Maybe the VCs of the record companies. Maybe your your websites, the album. I don't. I'm not quite sure that it adds up. But but ultimately, like company building is a creative activity to me, to my mind. And I think the thing again that really struck me as I've gone along is that, that as the, the company gets larger, it doesn't get less creative. I actually just get to share in that creative process with a larger number of people. And I, I find that really, really quite exciting. And I guess it's probably the main thing that drives me on to do it. So, so no, definitely a background in music and, a, and comfort with chaos is a, an excellent primer for startup life. This point about being creative and continuing to be creative and how important that is, there's a really brilliant juxtaposition there between the incredibly dry world of getting money to buy a house, which is a very important moment, and the notion of creativity. You are known as a business to do creative things, and indeed, your creative partners, Uncommon Nils, one of the founders there, was a, was a guest on the program. Why do you think creativity is important to you? Where does that come from way back in the day, even before you, at the age 16, decided not to do A-levels and went off to become a you know, touring musician? Yeah, so that's a really great question. I've never been asked that before. Um, I think I think for me, like creativity is, is kind of another way of talking about communication. I think in, in, in all of our different ways, at different points in our lives, we're trying to find ways to communicate our essential self to others and have them connect with us. And for me, as like a really introverted, shy teenager, like being in my terrible punk band and shouting a lot was the way that I managed to get it across. Um, I guess now, approaching 40 with a few kids and like a, and a fair few employees uh, to take care of, um, I find myself trying to communicate in a way that's more comprehensible um, and more sort of universal and has more, perhaps, practical uh, impact on people's lives. But uh, to me, the, the story is, is almost exactly the same. And the, the bravery to create a book 
which is, you know, uh, erotic, talking about what, what was the title of the book? For, it was the, uh, the Road to Completion. The Road to Completion. <laughs> and there was the, the other thing um, that, that, that I know you guys did, which the, was... The Mortgage Karma Sutra. The Mortgage well. Karma Sutra, mm-hmm. of course, where you, the website went down to encourage uh, couples to, in, to enjoy each other. Uh, in the way that couples should enjoy each other. Exactly. All those th- all those things, most mortgage businesses, most financial service businesses would not touch them with a barge pole. Yeah, I think that the core of that, again, is, is, is empathy, really, was that we, we obviously we talk to tens of thousands of customers every year, and, and the thing that we heard through some surveying was, one, that six out of ten mortgage customers go through some kind of like mortgage-related stress or anxiety, and I think that then half of them uh, stop having sex, lose their libido during the house-purchasing process, which kind of obviously stuck in our heads. We were like, what are we going to do about this? Like, that's a real problem to solve. <laughs> and so every year when Valentine's Day comes around, we, we inevitably find ourselves scratching our head and thinking about how we might sort of bring a, a little love back into the world. <laughs> it's like, I, I feel like I've just been transported to interviewing Dr. Ruth, who for so, those people of a certain age will remember in the 80s, Dr. Ruth popped up talking all about people's sex life. So Dr. Daniel, you're, you're solving it. We're here for all problems. <laughs> and on that point, you used to about empathise, and I mentioned your values earlier. The values of the business are stated, empathise with purpose, build better things, be 100% responsible, have backbone. These were constructed by you and a group of people or by you? I think they began with me scribbling them down at the kitchen table and really, and and I should say another part of why I I wanted to found a business was I wanted to work somewhere that I liked and where I felt like we sort of were a positive force in the world beyond just our commercial activities. Um, but yeah, as, as those scribbles then became, as our sort of leadership team built out, we went away and spent a couple of days really sort of digging into them and precisely what they meant and how they would show up in the world. Um, and they became crystallized in, in the way that you describe. Brilliant stuff. We're going to have our final chat with Daniel very shortly, and we're going to be playing a bit of a treat for you from Cecile McLaurin Salvon. That's in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business but it's personal. I've got Daniel Hegarty just for a few more minutes here on Jazz Shapers, and he, if you haven't been listening earlier, and I suggest you, if you've missed it, go back onto your favourite podcast platform. You can pick it up. He is the founder of Habito, and they are reinventing the world of mortgages. Will it ever end? I mean, can you, you know, at what point will you go, I've done it? I asked you at the beginning how far you are along the way. When will you look and go, I think I'm making inroads? Is it is it a market share thing? Is it a... You keep doing customer service and they go, wow. At what point will that person inside of you who's never content with quite where they've got to maybe go, I'm feeling a bit better now? I imagine it'll be them that kick me out, to be honest. Like, you know, it's like it's an infinitely large market. The UK's second biggest mortgage market in the entire world, which most people don't realize. So you're talking about trillions of pounds worth of mortgages, tens of millions uh, of customers. So I think... I think there'll probably be a day where like, the company gets too big for me and there's, there's somebody who's, who's better at running a 10,000 or 100,000 person organization. But no, I think a problem of this scale and sort of human importance or human magnitude, I struggle to imagine myself getting bored of solving it. And how do you handle the responsibility of all the people and that desire to change the industry and being a dad and being a husband and all those other things? Where's your refuge, as it were, to ensure that you, you can cope? Look, I think as in everything, you just need to surround yourself with extraordinary people. Like I'm blessed with an amazing wife and amazing kids and just a a really amazing group of people running Habito. And and bear in mind, it's been like a tough few years for everybody. And, you know, our whole market shut down for four months. And it's it's easy when, you know, all the graphs are going up and to the right and and you're winning on every front. But like we all got to see each other in like a tough emotional moment um, as as a company and and I guess as as a country. 
But for us, it was incredible. I think we came much closer together, sort of new levels of, of emotional honesty were found. Um, and yeah, so I, my sort of refuge is sort of within my work rather than sort of separate mm. from my work, which I feel very lucky. And the market's obviously coming back, the world's sort of returning a little bit. You're, imagine, quite chipper about where things are going in terms of the economy versus your business. Does that, does that look positive to you? Yeah, I mean, again, it was a complex couple of years, very boom or bust with stamp duty holidays and lockdowns and so on. But no, it, it, things sort of business is returning to normal, uh, I would say now. Um, and again, like it's it's at the very core of what everybody thinks about every day in this country. Like mm. Everybody loves property. <laughs> um, everybody wants to own a home or buy a home or buy the next home. Um, and so, yeah, we've, we've had a, a wonderful start to the year and are anticipating a good couple of years ahead. That's funny. You, you talk about being an introvert and your, your teenagers just before we go to your song choice. Do you think actually in some ways introverts are more suited to this role than people might think because they can reflect, they don't need the, you know, the, the applause of the crowd, they can actually find the space and in the last few years of course we've all had much more time to reflect has it has it been actually a boom a boom period for introverted type <laughs> entrepreneurs daniel i don't know i can't, I can't speak for them the, the, the way someone defined introversion and ex- extroversion to me once was when you're tired what do you do do you want to go and be alone or do you want to go and sit on a friend's sofa and eat a pizza and, and be with others and i like i'm very much i want to be on my own <laughs> um, and so i think yeah i think a lockdown and also you know running these companies is in, in its way a lonely job so i think being able to sort of draw energy from yourself in these sort of in challenging times is, is a is a helpful thing. But it does make the getting up on stage and doing radio interviews a little bit more challenging. Well, you're doing a pretty good job to me, so thank you. Listen, I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you for your honesty and your insight as well. And the truth. The truth has been good. I think people need to hear the truth sometimes, and we, we like to bring you lots of that here on Chaz Schaefer's. Uh, just before I let you disappear, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Uh, it's A Love Supreme by John Coltrane. I'm told not an entirely original choice, which hurts my feelings. We weren't kidding. <laughs> it's amazingly original. It's the first time today that anyone said that. It was, well, I'm going to tell, it was big for me as a teenager. Um, I very much remember just hearing that little four-note motif that repeats and repeats, and it becoming just this incredibly kind of complex thing uh, above it. And I don't know, that sort of stayed with me, that like the even you know cathedrals are made out of little bricks, ultimately, and I think Coltrane is sort of masterful at taking the simple and making it very, very beautiful and complex. John Coltrane with a love supreme. The song choice of my business shape is today, Daniel Hegarty. He talked really importantly in a complicated world about calling things what they are. It's a really good lesson for any business trying to do that. He said that building a company is essentially a creative activity. I love that. And finally, he talked about creativity as a means of communication, not just for the business, but actually for who you are as a person and your own essence. Lovely stuff. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business but it's personal. We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishcon.com forward slash jazzshapers.